and welcome to another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm Jeff Sankoff, an emergency physician, multiple Ironman triathlete, and your host, TriDoc, coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. As always, I want to begin by taking a moment to thank those of you who have taken the time to leave a rating or a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. If you haven't, I hope that you will consider doing so, as this is one of the few ways that can increase the visibility of the pod for those who don't know about it yet. I have another interesting, and I think, entertaining show for you today. Nathan Carlson is a physiotherapist and coach who specializes in helping runners and triathletes make the most of their performances by leveraging strength training to prevent injuries or to recover from them if they've already occurred. He joins me to discuss how and why strength training should be an integral part of endurance training. Janetta Iwanaki is back for another in our series, Reels for Wheels, our name for the segment where we suggest movies for your trainer rides. But first, I have an answer to a listener question that is hugely important, and I'm willing to bet will be almost completely unknown to the vast majority of my listeners. Coming up, a discussion of the female athlete triad. What is it? Why is it so important? And what can be done? The listener health question for this episode is an important one for my female listeners. But even if you are male, this is one that is worth paying attention to, because if you train with a woman or have female athletes in your life, you may not know about this issue, and I'm willing to bet that you will want to be aware. Courtney wrote in to ask for an explanation of the female athlete triad. What are the risks associated with it, and how could it be prevented? I'm willing to bet that many of my listeners, male or female, will be unfamiliar with this syndrome, so a little history is in order to set up the explanation. Women's participation in sports has been growing at a significant rate for several decades and has as one of its main causes the introduction of Title IX legislation. While I would not suggest that the rate of growth, especially in triathlon, has been sufficient, it has nonetheless been quite profound. A New York Times article surveyed the landscape of women's participation in sports relative to the passage of the law that ensured equal funding of men's and women's sports at colleges across the United States. In 1971, it was estimated that about 310,000 women participated in sports, while in 2010 that number had grown to almost 3.4 million. Along with that growth in participation has come an increase in the number of injuries that women sustain, and it wasn't long before researchers began to see disturbing trends in women's health that were particularly common in certain kinds of sports. The principal injury that many women were incurring were stress fractures in their lower extremities. Now, similar injuries had previously been reported in higher-than-expected numbers in professional ballerinas, who also seemed to have high rates of menstrual abnormalities, and this led to closer investigation of these two groups of women and the determination that there was a common underlying cause. In both dancers and women athletes, specifically, women involved in sports that require subjective judging or endurance sports where leanness is emphasized, there is a tendency towards poor nutrition. And so the female athlete triad was identified. And in its original construct, the triad was diagnosed whenever a girl or woman had amenorrhea, or absence of menstrual cycles, disordered eating, and decreased bone mineral density. Over time, though, the definition of the triad has been modified to recognize that it is less a constellation of specific findings and rather more a spectrum of disease. And so now, the triad can be diagnosed in women or girls who have one or more of the components of the triad lying somewhere on a spectrum from normal to varying degrees of pathology. It's important to understand how the elements of the triad interact. It has long been understood that poor nutrition can result in female infertility. 
What wasn't known prior to investigations of the female athlete triad was that amenorrhea and infertility can also result even when nutrition is adequate but simply insufficient to meet the metabolic demands of an athlete. In other words, even when an athlete is eating reasonably well, if her caloric expenditures are so high that what she is eating is inadequate to meet her metabolic needs, she will shift her energy priorities away from reproductive processes and cease to have menstrual cycles. While this may not seem on the surface to be a really hugely significant issue, there is a hidden cost to the cessation of menses. The process by which menses stop is by virtue of a decrease in circulating hormones, particularly estrogen. And when estrogen levels are low, there are important systemic effects outside of the reproductive system. It turns out that estrogen is very important for bone formation and for bone remodeling. When estrogen levels decrease, bone is resorbed and bone mineral density falls, leading eventually to weakened bone structures and to the stress fractures that were so often being seen in dancers and athletes. Poor nutrition compounds this problem by providing inadequate calcium and vitamin D that can accelerate the process further. Consider that amongst female athletes, the risk of stress fracture in some studies is as high as 50% when the triad is present. Even in the absence of all three components together, women with two elements of the triad have a 29% risk of stress fracture, while one component portends a risk of 21%. Alas, the triad is significantly sinister amongst the youngest girls and women in sport, and it is here that it can have the most profound and long-lasting effects. While disordered eating falls on a spectrum, at its most severe form, it takes the form of true eating disorders such as anorexia or bulimia, both of which are potentially life-threatening and very hard to treat. In two separate studies, Martinson and colleagues looked at elite female high school-aged athletes to determine how common disordered eating is, and their findings were very concerning. In their first study, girls were asked to complete a questionnaire, the results of which suggested that 11 to 25% exhibited pathogenic eating behaviors or were at risk for an eating disorder. In the second study, the authors interviewed all of the girls who completed the survey and found that fully 14% had a true eating disorder compared to non-athlete controls who exhibited similar pathology only 5% of the time. The relationship of nutritional intake and menstruation with bone mineral density is particularly important during adolescence because of the fact that for most women, 90% of peak bone mineral density is reached by age 18 and that the greatest level of accrual is between ages 11 and 14. To obtain optimal bone mineral density, adequate nutrition is required. After the peak bone mineral density has been reached, it can only be lost or maintained. It's really critical to understand this. Osteoporosis, something that afflicts so many older women and leads to so much morbidity, is not always caused just by accelerated bone mineral loss in adulthood. It can also be caused by not accumulating optimal bone mineral density during childhood and adolescence. And this situation is exacerbated in elite athletes who don't eat well because they're trying to maintain a lean body type, and this can lead to a lifetime of issues. So what can be done about prevention, detection, and management of the female athlete triad? Well, first and foremost, knowledge of the entity is paramount because it is only if coaches, athletes, and parents are aware of the triad and the risks that it carries that they can then be on the lookout for its signs and symptoms. Understanding the importance of nutrition is also at the root of prevention. Girls and women must understand the need to balance the competing interests of the rigors of their training, the constant pressure to fit perceived body types for their chosen sport, and the need to maintain healthy eating habits, not just to sustain their performance, but their other critical metabolic needs as well. 
It's important to understand that good nutrition and increasing body weight remain the only forms of treatment for the triad that have proven successful. Studies of oral contraceptives that can be used to restore some elements of the menstrual cycle have simply not been shown to be effective in terms of having any impact on bone mineral density. And unless healthy eating is restored, the drugs just don't work. Increased bone mineral density is reliably seen only when nutrition improves, but not necessarily with decreasing training. Clearly, the best way to manage the triad is simply not to get caught in the spectrum of disease in the first place, and to be very acutely aware of female athletes, especially young and high-level competitors' ongoing nutritional status. As a father of two daughters, one is a teenager and the other is a preteen, both of whom are gymnasts, I can tell you that I will be very attuned to this and making sure that I don't see signs of unhealthy habits forming. If you are a female athlete and are concerned about any of what I've talked about, I urge you to speak with your physician. If your physician is unfamiliar with the female athlete triad or if they feel unqualified, find someone who is. The American College of Sports Medicine or whichever country's college that you reside in would be an excellent place to start to find such a physician. It is critical that this is addressed in a timely manner and need not adversely affect your training or, more importantly, your quality of life in the long run. Do you have a question for me to consider answering on the podcast? Well, please send it to me at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. Although it's the third event in a triathlon, running is by far the most commonly associated with injury. Studies have shown that on average, 65% of runners are injured in some way every year. And while the majority of those are minor and doesn't necessitate a significant amount of downtime, the impact that running takes on the body cannot be overstated. And the pun there is very much intended. My guest today has made his career helping runners and triathletes prevent and recover from running injuries. Nathan Carlson is a physical therapist and coach based out of Kansas City. He received his doctorate from Rockhurst University and worked in sports rehab before opening his business, Running Mate PT and Performance Coaching, in 2017. He specializes in both the injury management and performance enhancement of endurance athletes of all ages and ability levels. Outside of his business, Nathan runs a mentorship group called The Runner Zone, along with two other physiotherapists that helps clinicians, coaches, and athletes understand how to manage endurance athletes. When he's not treating or training athletes, he enjoys spending time with his wife and two sons. You can also find him running, cycling, and drinking lots of coffee. But right now, I'm pleased to welcome him to the pod. Thanks for joining me today, Nathan. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. I look forward to, to chatting today. Nathan, what, what is your approach and your philosophy to preventing injuries? Oh, that, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, and it's certainly a, a hot topic um, with a lot of different opinions on it. So, um, you know, I, I think that I think that for endurance athletes, I think that it starts with consistent training. So, you know, if you're if you're running or if you're a triathlete, if you're you know cycling and and swimming, um, you have to be doing that on a consistent basis and making sure that you're allowing time for adequate recovery. So, I think consistency is the first thing. Um, what I do mostly in my business is try to figure out, you know, based off the individual in front of me. How can we put them in the best position to to stay healthy and to uh, and to perform or hit whatever goals they're trying to achieve? And for a lot of runners, that ends up being figuring out how to develop a good quality strength program for them. So I, I think outside of that consistent training and recovery, 
that a good strength training program that that is individualized to someone is is our next best thing for keeping runners healthy um, and and teaching them how to incorporate that in their training plan and making all of that work together. How exactly does strength and strength training help prevent injury in runners? Sure. So the the first thing that it does is is it physically makes our tissues more resilient. So if we look at if we look at a lot of the literature into what happens to our body when we train for an endurance event, we have these very specific actions, right? So it's the same thing with a with a bodybuilder. So when a bodybuilder goes and lifts weights, they're based off of what they do, their, their tissues get bigger. Um, we see that same thing with an endurance athlete, but, but what it does is it makes them a little bit more fatigue resistant. It allows them to, to maybe handle a little bit more by, by physically changing some of the properties of their muscles and tendons. Um, and, and making sure that as long as we're making sure that we are doing that with respect to whatever training they are currently doing. So there's a lot of there's a lot of misconceptions as to what what strength training is going to do for a person as a runner. Um, you know, is it's going to you know change my form? It's going to um, you know make me bulk up a lot. It's going to do this or that. But but from a, if, if we really look into the literature on this stuff, it just makes our tissues better able to handle training. So when when you know someone comes in and starts lifting with me, I don't think that we see drastic changes in, in, um, maybe their mechanics or some of the other things that's a common perception, but it lets them deal with training better. It helps them recover better. It helps them hold their pace better. And that's just because we're, we're making those tissues better able to deal with training. And I think you touched on uh, a very common fear there, and I'd like to explore that a little more. I think, uh, you know, most people think about lifting, they think about things like CrossFit, or they think about the the typical, you know, weightlifters where they just, you know, lifting very heavy things a lot of times, and it, it becomes, you know, uh, a zero-sum game where the, the, the lifter becomes so big that they can no longer run fast. So how do you structure a program so that, or how do you even explain to the runner that, listen, that's not what this is about. Strength doesn't necessarily mean mass. Yeah, yeah, and that is a common misconception and something that, you know, that I talk about with with clients and patients all the time so, you know, for an endurance athlete, if you're running on a consistent basis, uh, certainly if you're training for triathlon on a consistent basis, it's very, very hard to physically take in the amount of calories you would need to actually make yourself gain weight. Now, maybe we'll see a change in, um, in our muscle mass, but, I, but we might not see a change. We're probably not going to see a big change in body weight. Um, because, because you're running so much, you're cycling so much, um, and it, it takes so much fuel to be able to, to gain muscle at the same time as, uh, as training for an endurance event. It's very, very, very hard to do. I don't think I've had one person that's, that's been training on a consistent basis that lifts, lifts weights that has gained weight. Now they get stronger. Um, but again, that's because we're, we're changing, we're changing the, the tissues. We're not necessarily making them bigger. We're just making them better able to deal with the demands of the sport. One of the things that, um, when a, when a person comes on board with me is I, I want to figure out what's the, you know, what's the lever that we haven't pulled yet? What's the thing that we haven't tapped into? 
And we see that same thing with coaching too. If someone someone comes in and says, you know, I've ran at, I've been running at, you know, easy conversational pace for 10 years. And, and I, you know, I run five or six days a week, but I don't really do anything else. Uh, and, and I want to hit a certain time or, or, you know, get faster or something like that. An easy lever for us to pull with that client is to say, well, we need to start to some element of speed with that person. So maybe that's strides, maybe that's some faster finishes, maybe that's some light, you know, interval work or some tempo running or things like that. Um, because that person hasn't had to deal with that. They haven't, they haven't gotten the, the, the good, um, kind of adaptions that happen from that type of training. So that's an easy thing for us to pull. Just like if someone comes in and says, you know, I've been running five miles a week and I'd like to, I'd like to get better at this. An easy thing for us to say is to, well, you just need to run more. You know, I'm not super concerned about your pace or any of that stuff. We just need to get you running more and you're going to get better at this. It's the same thing with lifting. So, you know, what I'll see is someone will come in and they'll, maybe they don't have a history with lifting at all. Maybe they're, they're doing some, I kind of, I call them extended rehab exercises. You know, they saw a, a physical therapist or a chiropractor, or, you know, coach or, you know, whatever it may be. And they gave them some kind of basic drills and they, they do those forever. Um, and, and, and that can be fine, but maybe they're not doing some heavy resistance training. Uh, maybe they're not doing plyometrics. Uh, and, and they haven't been able to, to get the adaptions that we want on that stuff. Those are the things that can be really, really, really helpful is to figure out what has, what has this athlete not, um, dealt with in the past as a training stimulus and how can we help them, um, get to wherever they want to get to in the, in the shortest amount of time possible. Um, it, it, without, while also making sure that we're kind of dispelling any myths out there, um, and that's certainly one of them that they're going to gain a bunch of weight. You know, if you're, if you're running on a consistent basis, that's, that's not a concern at all for me. Um, cause I, I just don't think it happens. If you're running, if you're not running that much and lifting a lot, that's a different story. You know, I, I don't see, it's funny. I don't see a lot of running injuries in my line of work, but I do see a lot of weightlifting injuries principally from CrossFit. I mentioned CrossFit earlier. Uh, d- how do you design a plan of, of strength training that doesn't actually lead to people getting injured from doing that? So first, I, I think it starts with an assessment. You know, we need to figure out what what is going into making up that person. So if someone comes in and says, I've had five stress fractures over the last 10 years, that has direct implications to what I want to do with them. If they say... I, you know, I get Achilles tendonitis every time I try to, to increase my pace when I'm doing, uh, you know, faster sessions, um, that direct implications to what I'm going to do. If they say I had an ankle fracture that I didn't rehab or do anything for, you know, two years ago, that has direct implications for what I want to do. So we have to, we have to understand where that person is coming from. That's what, that's my favorite part of my job, honestly, is because, you know, I, I can't really take off the, my physical therapist lens when I'm dealing with someone that doesn't have pain. Um, and so, you know, you're always kind of, you know, floating between these two fields and saying, based off of all this information, how do we put you in the best situation to succeed? Because, you know, it, it would be irresponsible for me to just say, you know, come in, we're just going to start lifting heavy. Um, you know, I'm going to put 500 pounds in your back and we're just going to do squats till you can't walk anymore. Um, we have to make sure that, that we have a good understanding of where they're starting um, if we can do, uh, some kind of an assessment, we're looking at, you know, flexibility and strength and, 
Um, you know, we're watching them run, we're having them do some different tasks. That gives us lots of information to figure out what is the best thing for you. And on the same end of things, what's the thing that's probably not going to work for you? So that's, what I think, where that starts. Uh, and, and after we've got that kind of information in front of us, then it's about creating a good quality strength plan that is specific to running. And so, you know, for me, that's making sure that we're doing single leg tasks because running is inherently a single leg activity. That's what separates it from walking. Um, making sure that we're challenging every tissue of the body in a running specific manner because running is a whole body sport. You know, as much as people like to talk about, you know, this muscle or this uh, specific joint or section of the body, it all has to work together when we're running. And so we need to make sure that we're building up the abilities of all those tissues. So that's, you know, upper body exercises, that's lower body exercises, that's certainly things where we're up on one foot. Um, and then making sure that we are progressing into heavier loads, you know, again, especially if they haven't done that stuff before, when, when our foot hits the ground, we're absorbing two to three times body weight, uh, every time our foot hits the ground. And, you know, if you go out for a run, you're getting thousands and thousands of those contacts on most of your runs. And so a lot of this is about, you know, building up the resiliency of those tissues. Um, for me, that's picking, and then, and then, you know, that's picking the, the best with the least risk involved. So, you know, if you look on any of my social media pages, you'll see my clients doing a lot of similar things. Um, everybody that I work with has an individualized program, but there are certainly some drills that I find myself programming more than others. Uh, that is often trap bar deadlifts or split squats. Um, those two exercises are fantastic because they stress uh, they stress the body in a running specific way. They challenge all the tissues of our lower extremities, which again is the thing that's under the most demand when we're running. Um, and, and that's what we want. Again, the, the idea is we're preparing, we're preparing the body for the demands of training. And so, um, and, and making sure that we're progressing through that stuff, you know, there, there's a set order to how we do things because we need to give the body a chance to adapt and do its job. It's the same, it's the same way, uh, same reason behind, you know, a, a new runner, we say, let's run a little bit more. Okay. Now let's add in a little bit speed, uh, add in a little bit of speed. Um, but let's be mindful with our progression. So, you know, I know that's a, that's a long winded answer. No, that's um, great. That's great. Yeah. And, you know, that's honestly, that's why I love my job. Like that's the fun part is there's so many different things that we need to consider when we go to figure out what is the best thing for this individual, because it's probably going to be different than, than, you know, their buddy that they train with, uh, you know, or anyone else. You, you mentioned the uh, whole body approach and I, I'm curious besides the, uh, I mean, I, I would imagine a lot of the strength training focuses on the legs, but what other parts of the muscle chain in the body are in your mind, most important for runners to really strengthen so that they can improve both their running speed, but also, you know, decrease the likelihood of injury. If we look at, if we look at any of the literature, um, that kind of looks at the running injury rates, um, consistently the, the places that get hurt on runners more, more often than not are from their knees down, you know, so that's, that's patellofemoral pain syndrome, IT band syndrome, Achilles tendonitis, tibial stress fractures. Um, those kind of things always get listed at the top. Um, and, and that I feel like we should be doing some kind of squatting, deadlifting, um, single leg exercises, 
um, those, those type of drills, because those are going to be that what loads those tissues that are maybe giving us a little bit of trouble when we look globally at runners, um, aside from those, from, from lower body drills, um, I, I think the next thing we can do is work on keeping an upright posture. I think that's super helpful for, uh, triathletes, especially because it takes us a little bit of time to normalize our running mechanics when we get off the bike. And so doing drills where we're, we're forcing ourselves to maintain uh, that upright position as we fatigue are really, really important. So there's a lot of band drills that I'll program for that. Um, also a lot of carry variations. So farmer's carries are fantastic for that because the idea is we're, we're trying to maintain that position as we fatigue. So you, know, you look at the end of the race, you tend to see two things. You, you tend to see either people super hunched over uh, you know, almost falling forward or people that are sitting so far backwards. Um, and, and some of that's based off of, you know, their individual skeletal anatomy, um, which can, but, uh, you know, you get off the bike or you're getting to the end of the marathon or whatever it is that you're running. I want to make sure that we can, you know, give you a little bit extra so you can, so you can keep that as you're starting to fatigue. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't program a lot of bicep curls, uh, you know, I don't program a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of isolation exercises in the upper body. It's more, you know, carries and plank holds and, um, kind of these extended prolonged positions because that better reflects what we have to do when we're competing in endurance sports. We've talked a lot about using strength to prevent injuries, but how can you, or how can an injured athlete use strength to come back from injury and prevent injuries from happening again? There's a, an idea that's been put out a lot more recently in the kind of in the literature on endurance injuries. Uh, it, I actually I wrote a, a blog that I put up this morning, um, and it talks about it talks about the idea of you know the load that we're placing on an individual tissue, and then the capacity that that can deal with. So if we let's let's take the knee for example. So someone has knee pain, um, you know we we want to figure out you know was this, was this body part just given too much? Was it not able to deal with it? Uh, and so how much load were we placing on it? And then how resilient was that tissue? Um, how strong was it? How, how prepared was it for whatever that we asked it to do? Um, and so from, from a resistance training standpoint, if we know that people have had problematic areas, that gives us a lot of insight into how we should program for them um, because, because the adaptions that we get from strength training are different than what we get from running. So, you know, if we if, – say you have a tear in your, your, your Achilles or your rotator cuff or whatever it may be, um, if, we, if we make that tissue deal with resistance training for a long period of time – those fibers get stronger, they get thicker, um, they get better able to, again, deal with, uh, and so if someone is having a problematic area, if we can do some targeted strength training, a lot of time that's very helpful, whether we're in the rehab process or whether we're back to training and saying, I don't want to end up back in that situation that, that, that I was in. So, um, we can, we can really be very, targeted with how we go about that. And again, that goes back to why I think that assessments and a good, um, a good history is important, just like in anything with medicine. Um, but, but certainly with this stuff too, because it gives us an idea of what we need to be working on. Uh, one specific example is, uh, older males. So we see that, uh, in the calf, 
we see a, a loss of some of the fast twitch fibers as we get older. That's just what happens. And so you'll see a lot of older runners that'll come in with calf strains or Achilles tendonitis or something in that area that's agitated. And so doing some type of a calf uh, calf training in their lifting is very, very important based off of either their individual history if they've had those things or just what we know happens with the human body at eight. Um, so that's, it just gives us this, uh, this training stimulus that we don't get from running. We, uh, one, one more example, we see the same thing in the literature for bone. So stress fractures are something that, that, you know, I have a lot of interest in. I I see a lot of people with them. Um, I certainly see a lot of people that are, that are coming back from them or they have them in their history and running is okay at improving our, uh, our bone mineral density or the, you know, kind of the resiliency of our bone tissue. Um, but strength training and, and jumping activities are way, way, way more helpful when it comes to making those tissues stronger. So if someone is coming back from a stress fracture, yes, I want them to run when they're ready. I want them to run on a consistent basis and be, be mindful about their progressions and all those types of things. But I also want them lifting and really getting into heavy lifting and jumping drills because that helps bone get more resilient, much better than running and certainly better than cycling and swimming, which don't have much load going through those tissues at all or, or much dynamic loading going through those tissues. Um, right, right. There's, right. there's just right. so many benefits from this stuff. It's, it's, uh, you, you really need to do it if you're, if you're looking at staying healthy and, and getting faster or, or approaching a new distance. What three pieces of advice would you offer to runners to try and uh, decrease the likelihood of injury and uh, increase the likelihood of a, a long-term running career? So just like we talked about, I think number one is, is getting a good strength training program, um, how, however works best for you. So, um, you know, I, I have clients, we work on lifting from a distance, you know, I, I send out programming and, um, and, uh, and you complete that stuff on your own. That that works best for some people because lives are busy and they don't have a provider close by to them. Um, if you have someone in in town that you trust or that's you know trusted in the endurance community, go see them. Get an assessment. Like get on a get on a good lifting plan because it can be really really very very helpful at all this stuff. We can never we're never going to be able to say we can prevent 100 of injuries. That's just not possible. Um, but it's the it's the best thing that you can do. Uh, to put yourself in a situation to to not only achieve your goals but have a have a long term uh, running career, you know, so you can run as you get older um, and, and hopefully stay healthy. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is uh, it's a slow burn, man. With all this stuff, like you guys in triathlon know this. Um, you know, if you if you've got goals, be patient and be consistent. Don't feel like you've got to put too much into one individual workout or you've got to crush yourself all the time. Um, you know, we just want this steady improvement in in your abilities with with training, with lifting, um, with everything, um, because that's how that's what happens with the body. It takes it takes time and consistent is very, very important for anybody, whether they're a high school kid or someone, you know, in their 80s that is that is wanting to you know, still run and do whatever. Um, and then the third thing is, is do something outside of the endurance world. Um, you know, there's a, there's a very tight, uh, endurance community in Kansas city, which is fantastic. Um, I think it's really, really helpful to have something outside of that, you know, running and running in triathlon, 
um, inherently is a is a I'm moving forward sport. So they're they're sagittal plane sports. Um, certainly motion has to happen. We get some rotation. We get some you know different kind of things with um, with with swimming certainly. But but we're really just moving forward when we're going to train. Find something else that you like doing, and because it gives you an outlet from this stuff, so you don't stress out too much about your training. And again, it gives your body some different things to deal with. It gives you it gives you a chance to uh, a chance to kind of decompress and and relax and not worry about your your training too much. So whether that's you know whether that's yoga or whether that's um, that's rock climbing, that's soccer, like whatever it is, have something outside of this and make sure that all of that stuff. Um, my, my, one of my uh, business partners, Chris Johnson, um, he, he kind of coined the the term, um, that the body is like an ecosystem. So he talks about this when, when we teach continuing education. Um, so we want the ecosystem to be really happy, right? If there's, if there's something that's bad going on in an ecosystem, it can really throw the whole thing off. So make sure that everything's working well. Like if life is stressful and, um, and, and, and things aren't going, going, you know, how you want them to go, we need to make sure we're, we're taking that into account when we're going into training. So I, I think I gave you four pieces of advice, but no, um, that's great. That's really so terrific. Good. Those are all great pieces of advice. Thank you so much. Uh, Nathan, where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, so you can uh, you can uh, go to my website. That's it's runningmatekc.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, um, which is uh, runningmatekc as well. Uh, my you know my business phone and, and email are all on there as well. I'm, I'm always happy to to answer anybody's questions about anything. You know, I, uh, I I do what I do now to to hopefully help as many people as I can. Uh, enjoy these sports because they're because they're so um, they're so much fun and they've got such great communities and you know the more we can do to keep you happy and healthy that's that's why I do what I do. All right, and I'll put all those links in the show notes. Nathan Carlson is a physical therapist and coach based out of Kansas City. He owns and operates Running Mate PC and performance coaching there. Thanks so much for joining me today, Nathan. I really appreciated the conversation. Thanks for having me on. And now it's time for Reels for Wheels, when my friend and colleague and fellow multiple Ironman triathlon finisher, Janetta Iwanaki, joins me on the podcast to give suggestions for movies to watch while on the trainer, to make those sessions significantly more enjoyable. Welcome, Janetta. Hello. So we're coming off our first ever themed segment when we both recommended Bond films. What have you got for us this time? So I've got a uh, another, I think, new classic action film, um, and relatively unusual for me, a superhero film. Um, I'll be talking about Wonder Woman today. Cool. So this is one, this is the first time uh, that you're going to recommend a movie I have not seen. So I'm interested to hear what you've got to say. Yeah. So I have to be totally honest. I was extremely skeptical of this movie um, for a lot of reasons. Part of which was I haven't really been a fan of a lot of the other DC comics, um, superhero adaptations. And to be honest, there are quite a few I actually haven't even seen. Um, However, I actually had this movie recommended to me by several other triathletes who love to watch it on the trainer. A couple of our mutual friends, uh, Marlo Macht, um, Jen Bellows, um, and a few other folks have recommended it to me. And so finally, I gave it a try, and I was really pleasantly surprised. It's a movie that uh, really tells us about Wonder Woman's origins um, and tells us about the society and the community that she comes from, as well as what she brings to uh, a really interesting uh, villain in uh, Nazi-era Germany. 
Um, and I think one of the things I really loved about it was learning about her community that she grew up in. Um, there's a lot of uh, really badass women um, in this community because it turns out it's all women. Um, but watching their training and watching how they become these amazing um, female warriors was really fascinating to me. Um, Gal Gadot does a great job, certainly in the title role, um, but uh, some of the other women were fantastic as well. Actually, Robin Wright really stands out as another uh, fantastic um, performance there. Yeah, and I, I, for, I love Chris Pine, um, and I have heard nothing but rave reviews about Gal Gadot. Um, I can't say that I've seen her in anything else. Uh, yeah, so she um, she's had a relatively small number of roles so far. Um, you know, she's an actress who's Israeli and has sort of really just started breaking into um, the U.S. cinema scene. Um, and I think really so far Wonder Woman has been her major breakout role. She was quite good, though, when she hosted Saturday Night Live as well. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, but this is a movie that is on my radar for sure, uh, mostly because I have two girls and because I've I understand it's it's one of the few, well, not few, but I mean, I mean, lately there's been a lot more movies like this, but it, it's one of the big sort of action epic films where uh, a female character has the lead, has all the lines, has the big role, and Absolutely. and really saves the day, and 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 that's something that I want to share with my girls for sure. Um, I also understand. I mean, I am not uh, as I've mentioned before. I don't like the comic book superhero type movies, but um, this one apparently is is one that everybody says. Even if you don't like them, this one is one worth watching. Absolutely. And it's got great performances. Chris Pine in particular, I think, is really fantastic. Surprisingly, in that supporting role where he's not the primary focus, but he really brings that focus back to the main character, um, which I think takes a lot of strength as an actor in some ways to be able to do that in such a confident manner. This is no man's land, Diana. It means no man can cross it, all right? This battalion has been here for nearly a year, and they, they barely gained an inch. All right, because on the other side, there are a bunch of Germans pointing machine guns at every square inch of this place. This is not something you can cross. It's not possible. So what? So we do nothing? No, we, do, we are doing something. We are. We just, we can't save everyone in this war. This is not what we came here to do. what I'm going to do. I think the other thing that's fantastic about it is it's got a great sense of humor to it. Um, and while it does have violence compared to some of the other movies we've talked about, it's certainly much more family friendly. Right. And it's cartoonish. Well, it's a comic book. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's got, um, it's a bit cartoonish, but I think also too, like it brings in, um, you know, these sort of big, not just good versus evil, but like, how do you want to be a good person in the world discussions that are also, I think, a really powerful thing to have um, in a superhero movie, um, particularly in one that sort of brings this depth to the table. So I'm curious because, you know, the origin of Wonder Woman, not not in the comic, but the origin of Wonder Woman from the artist perspective was, you know, I mean, he was, it, it's not... It's not a straightforward origin. I mean, he, he had ulterior motives in how he drew her, mm -hmm. in what the whole backstory was. And I'm just curious, uh, 
you know, I, I clearly that's not, you know, they've, the, the director, the writers, uh, they, they've, it, this was directed by a woman, wasn't it? Um, I gotta be totally honest. I don't remember. Um, that's right. It was Patty Jenkins. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. So, so clearly they, they have, you know, taken the story and, yeah. and done what they want with it. And none of that. So sort of reclaimed it, and reclaimed it, it and, and owned way. it in a different way. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is much more empowering to women and, and takes away a lot of the, cause, cause my recollection originally was that the Chris Pine character in the comic book is much mm-hmm. more of an integral uh, character and I think here not so much. Yeah, I mean here he certainly uh, has a relationship um, by which I mean they've developed a friendship with Wonder Woman um, and I think you know it gives you some idea of how he and Diana Prince interact together and that he certainly seems to have an impact on her but much more so she brings an impact to him and his friends um, who are uh, male soldiers and shows them sort of a much different view of uh, what a woman is capable of so I think that piece of it is very different from perhaps the original comic books. Now, I would be remiss as a, a, a man who grew up in that mm-hmm. time uh, if I didn't mention Linda Carter, because let's face it, I was a boy of the right age to, you know, basically, you know, worship Linda Carter. Does she have any role in this movie? Can I hope for a cameo? Not, not that we, not that we know. All right, I'll <laughs> have to look. I I'll, I'll have to look on the uh, IMDb Easter Egg site and see if she has a cameo, and and only hope. So, what kind of trainer rides do you uh, think this movie is appropriate for? So I've done it with a couple of different kinds. I actually really like it for sweet spots um, because it's got just enough intensity and um, some of those episodes to it that kind of brings you up to a little bit higher level than, say, a steady state trainer ride. Um, But I think also, too, it lends itself to quite a few different types. All right. Well, I will uh, add it to the list to watch with my girls and then uh, put it on the trainer ride list as well. Uh, for my suggestion, I'm going to cheat a little bit and go with two movies, and that's the first two Jason Bourne movies. Now, I recognize that's a bit of a cheat because it's two movies and not one, but the reality is that these two films really do form a continuous story arc with many of the same characters and a storyline that weaves its way pretty seamlessly. Uh, Doug Lyman, who directed an earlier one of my recommendations in this series, Edge of Tomorrow, does fine work with the first of these movies with great pacing and some terrific action sequences. And Paul Greengrass has the directing duties for the second film, but the kinetic pacing and lively action sequences are just as entertaining. And the addition of Carl Urban as the Russian counterpart to Demons, uh, to Damon's Bourne is terrific. In the first film, Bourne is the super spy without a memory or an identity. He teams up with the wonderful Famke Potemke and travels to Paris where they piece together who and what he is. I'm not making this up. These are real. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I come in here, and the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. I see the exit sign too, I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing stuff when they're scared. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. 
I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? In the second film, Bourne's previous world finds him and he takes his wrath to his former employers in an action-packed, suspenseful, and highly entertaining way. I like these movies for interval rides, though they are good for anything that has you riding with higher watts or cadence. I think that uh, both of them are tremendously entertaining, well-written, and uh, just, you know, fun romps. That's a great description of them. I think these are the perfect example of movies that don't take too much brain power to enjoy. Yeah, there's a you can follow all the intrigue and everything else, but honestly, you can just enjoy the action without having to think too hard about it, which I always really like. Yeah, and and personally, I think they jumped the shark with the third one. Uh, I think a lot of people liked the third one. I, I did not. Yeah. But, um, I was not a, much of a fan either, to be totally honest. But the first two I thought were fantastic. Yeah. And then the, after that, they didn't need to go on. <laughs> uh, I stopped watching after that, to yeah. be totally honest. My uh, wife my <laughs> wife is a big Matt Damon fan, and she'll watch anything he's in, especially when he takes his shirt off. And she's very thrilled. And I think the last one, he does so uh, <laughs> multiple times. Maybe I do need times. to watch that one then. <laughs> Duly noted. Yeah. Well, uh, that's uh, good. So we've got a bonus movie here. We've got three movies for you. Both of the Born, first two Born movies, which is the Born Identity and the Born Ultimatum, uh, and um, the uh, Wonder Woman movie. So thanks for being with us, Janetta, and we'll look forward to another uh, episode of Reels for Wheels on our next TriDoc podcast. Happy writing. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like what you heard, please consider leaving me a rating or a review wherever you download this to listen. Those really do help. If you didn't, or if you have other comments or a question for me to consider for answering on the show, send all of that feedback to me at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. References for the science and the answer to my listener question, as well as links to everything else that I discussed on the show, can be found in the show notes at www.tridocpodcast.podbean.com. The music at the beginning and end of the show is Radio by The Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many more like it can be found at www.reverbnation.com. I hope that you will visit and give small, independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another listener health and triathlon-related question for me to answer. An interview with Dr. Brian White, a Denver orthopedic surgeon who specializes in hip reconstruction for label repairs and FAI, as well as this year's final episode of Reels for Wheels. It's warming up, so it's just about time to forego trainer rides for getting outside again. Until then, I'm Jeff Sankoff. Train hard. Train healthy.